everyone. It is time for the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. Well, I've said it before on this show uh, that I always look forward to the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music, which happens every August in Santa Cruz, California, whence this program originates, uh, because it gives me a chance to get to know some uh, of today's best composers, uh, people I wasn't necessarily familiar with before the festival. And this year, uh, the big discovery for me was the music of Huang Ruo, a Chinese-American composer who uh, grew up in China at the time of the great opening to the West in the 1980s. And I don't think that's a coincidence because there's just an extraordinary open-heartedness and open-mindedness in his music, which um, incorporates all of the different kinds of uh, music he heard growing up, everything from traditional Chinese ritual music to classical that he learned in his conservatory training to uh, Chinese folk and rock and jazz and pop. And it all comes together in a way that is not some glib fusion, but really feels organic and whole and unique. Wang Ruo can craft everything from a sweet pop-tinged number, like the one we're listening to now, to rigorous and challenging avant-garde orchestral and chamber pieces. And he can also sing something he didn't do for a long time in public because he was too shy, but he got over that, and it's a good thing, as you will hear. So join me as we learn about the life and luxuriate in the music of Wang Ruo. Wang Ruo, tell me about growing up. I know you were born on Hainan Island. Yes. Which is one of the southernmost places in China. It's uh, the big island below uh, Hong Kong, and uh, it's uh, very tropical. Yeah, it's paradise for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's where you grew up? That's where I was born, and um, I moved to Guangzhou, which is still in Canton province, and uh, with my parents. And I, my whole relatives, whole family is still in Hainan, so I went back and forth uh. Uh, with uh, uh, my family between Hainan and Guangzhou. So I grew up in the southern land of uh, China. Is that a particular culture then? There are many very particular cultures in the in the south. You know, um, for example, we are very into uh, ghost stories. Like for example, I, I'm wearing a jade in front of me, so this is a protection from good luck for my you know for my ancestors, right? So um, my first musical memory ever was this Taoist uh, ceremony. My grandmother invited the to perform. I, I remember I was uh, quite young, um, maybe seven or eight. Uh, so what happened is my grandma was sick for several weeks. The doctor doesn't know what happened. And then uh, she went to see a fortune teller. The fortune teller said, you know, uh, you had two deceased sons who died in the past and they should be, you know, in their 40s now, but they never got married. And uh, so they are making you aware of that. So the solution for her is to perform a ghost marriage. So she invited a group of Taoists to come to perform the ceremony. So I remember seeing them chanting, performing, you know, uh, outside of our house uh, for several days, several nights. So what they do is uh, they have all the dead female goat's name written on their bamboo sticks and then they they shake it you know so if one person's name come out 
more than three times consecutively, that means the ghost spirit chose the person and approved that marriage. So it takes many, many, many tries, and uh, at the end, it's just magically same person keep coming out, keep coming out. But that music and that chanting, um, it just haunting me. Ah, do you remember um, what the music sounded like? I still have this vague memory of it. You know, nothing is in tune, <laughs> which is the beautiful thing of it. Is that obviously they're not uh, real singers or or real musicians. They're Taoists performing a ceremony, <laughs> right? But I think the beauty of the uh, you know at least street music or secular music, or in this case the ritual music in China, is uh, uh, it is a ceremony where a lot of interesting harmonies, interesting uh, uh, polyphonies, microtones are created because. They don't tune it. Mm-hmm. When they came, they just start play and they start singing. They don't really worry about. Oh, am I in tune with that suona or in tune with that yehu? Uh, uh, you know, in a way, it's almost like the American equivalent of uh, Charles Ives uh-huh. listening to this uh, uh-huh. street fair. So, uh, so that's one tradition. You know, we are very spirit ghost-oriented uh, land. But also another great culture to me is uh, people are very warm-hearted and the measurement is by how loud you are. It's the opposite from the Western culture. Um, so the, the the warmer your personality is, the warmer you want to show kindness to another person, is being very uh, loud to the person. <laughs> so, uh, for example, if I'm in a car with my father who's driving, so someone calls him, you know, he would pick it up. If suddenly he was like, oh, yeah, and he start talking very loudly, you know, it's a very close friend of his. But if he just talks very quietly, that means it's a stranger. So, um, so that, I personally love that. You know, uh. It shows the southern uh, uh, openness. Uh-huh. Do you have any music of yours that was perhaps influenced by that traditional ritual music you were just describing? <clears throat> yes. Actually, uh, what we could play is um, this uh, double concerto for Sheng Guzheng plus a Western ensemble. <clears throat> it's called The Curves of the Shadow. I wrote that partially based on that memory. Uh, and also, um, you know, because the instrumentation is so... Unique, you know, it has a mandolin, it has a guitar, it's a harp, it has double bass, it has uh, two Chinese instruments. So all these instruments not meant to be together forever. Right. But when you put them together, so what what the you know what the style of cooking that would be. So <laughs> in that sense, um, I created that piece, you know, uh, for that memory. So which could be interesting to play. So again, the name of that piece? Curves of Shadows. Uh-huh. And uh, it included two traditional Chinese instruments. You mentioned them, the sheng 
which is the mouth organ. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we say organ, you know, it's this bundle of pipes, you know, that you blow into. That's right. It's it's quite a remarkable looking instrument. And then the uh, guzheng, Mm -hmm. how do you pronounce it? Uh, Guzheng. Guzheng. Yeah. And that's the Chinese zither. 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 Uh, It looks a little like the Japanese koto. Mm -hmm. Um, So you grew up really uh, in multiple traditions then. You had uh, the very old ritual and folk music you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But your father was a composer. That's right. And what kind of music did he compose? He actually uh, does a lot of different things. And uh, he, first of all, he's a professor of composition, teaching in the Guangzhou Conservatory of Music. And he also writes for Western orchestra, Chinese orchestra, writes for film, writes for TV, and even commercial jingles. Oh, really? Yeah, and wow. he also big at choral music. So actually, it was him uh, wanted me to be a composer. I don't know whether in the West it's common or not, but in, in the Chinese tradition, uh, it's very common. The mother wants the daughter to continue their footsteps. The father wants the son to continue their footsteps. Right, right. So my sister is the doctor like my mother, and I become a composer. So in that sense, um, I also growing up, knowing, okay, I will be a composer in the future. I don't even know what does that mean, but I was told I will be a composer. So <laughs> You had no choice. No choice. Really? That's it, yeah. So he sent me to Shanghai when I was 12, so that's another story. I was reading that, uh, to a conservatory to study composition. Yes. So your father was composing Western-style music, classical, uh, along with the commercial music you were just describing? or, or mm-hmm. Is that right? He doesn't really define it too much, West or East, but I would say he's more Eastern-based, oh, Eastern. uh, Eastern-style composer. And because he always criticized me for being too Western. Oh. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it may be like, another father-son relationship in other family. We don't necessarily get along well in the uh, ideology of what music should be. Uh-huh. Uh, but what is very interesting is, uh, you know, he criticized me, criticized me until I came to America and uh, I wrote my uh, violin concerto. So he asked me to send it to him and I sent it to him. Uh, I think that's 2003. So um, one day I, I was talking to my sister on the phone. So she would say, you know, you should talk to your father. I say, why? She said, you know, he, he closed himself in the room for several days. You know, every afternoon he goes in and he listens to your violin concerto and he doesn't say anything, doesn't talk to anyone about it. So we don't know what's wrong with him. And f- finally he wrote me a very touching letter. He was saying, you know, son, although I don't necessarily know and understand what your path is. and uh, But I felt and make the right decision to send you to Shanghai to study music, to be a composer. And I hear such rich orchestration, rich color in your writing. And uh, uh, so I just want to let you know, I really like this piece. Mm-hmm. So that to me is so meaningful and uh, so touching. And uh, so we, we make our piece after that. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so when you say he composed mostly Eastern style, yeah. you mean traditional Chinese on traditional Chinese instruments, not for Western orchestra? Is, it, is that he, right? He also writes for Western orchestra and uh-huh. all chamber music, uh-huh. but it's the music language. I see. So it's more, um, you know, more pentatonic, more traditional Chinese and... Uh, uh, so it's the style. Um, right. But uh, I remember he was telling me in those days, um, because, you know, he, he went through the whole uh, 
cultural revolution, all the things, you know. Uh, so he was sent to the countryside and uh, um, writing with a group of other composers. So uh, in those days, when you write a piece, you, you don't necessarily put your name on it, right? Mm. So it's written by the community, for example. <laughs> so, and also he was doing a lot of arrangement and a lot of writing. Basically, you need to be uh, adaptable to different things. So that trained him to be very um, you know, capable for writing different genres, right? So when he sent me to study music, he also wants me to be able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, because in China, we don't have such a thing called film composer or concert music composer or opera composer. It's just one word. Oh, you do it Composer, all. right? Yeah. So when a film director wants music, they went to the conservatory to ask a, a, a composition professor to write music mm-hmm. for the film. I think that's great, you know, because it, a composer should be able to do mm. all of these things. Mm. Well, you you mentioned the Cultural Revolution. You mm-hmm. were born the year it ended. Is that that's right? That's right. Yeah, seventy six. Um, but during that time, uh, mm-hmm. it was hard for intellectuals and maybe some artists, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Wasn't mm-hmm. the government saying, you know, you need to be reeducated? You're too close to uh, capitalism, Western capitalism, and mm-hmm. all these other bad things. What was that true for your father? Um, well, since I didn't go through that period, and uh, what I heard and what I learned from uh, my parents was, you know, so my father was, uh, uh, a lot of universities closed their doors. Uh, the students sent away to, uh, you know, be re-educated yeah. to learn from the farmers, learn from the uh, workers. Uh, so my, my mother, who works in uh, Hainan Island, and uh, my father works in uh, Guangzhou. So Guangzhou uh, is the big city. So my mother has to have a permit to join him, right? But uh, she was not able to get a permit until the cu- Cultural Revolution was over. So they were basically having long-distance relationship for many years. Um, oh, wow. Uh, also, you know, because of the Cultural Revolution. So I always was told how lucky my generations mm. are and how lucky I am born and raised in a period of time where, you know, I should say thanks to, uh, um, you know, Deng Xiaoping, who was the leader mm-hmm. after Mao, to open up the country to uh, really to allow the Western culture to come back to China again. The decadent Western culture. That's right. <laughs> Uh, so the timing of your birth wasn't coincidental. It was when your parents were able to get back together again after the Cultural uh, Revolution, sort of. I mean, they, they did plan that, right. so <laughs> it wasn't an accident. Um, so, But, you know, growing up in the 80s um, and 90s in China, still a fascinating thing. Uh, oh, there me, was a complete opening up, right? Exactly. A cultural explosion. And, and uh, to me, that energy and that excitement uh, is something I still remember and still influence my writing, I should say, because um, mm, I personally own like seven or eight different color pairs of blue jeans <laughs> or jeans, right? Period. So uh, in in US you say blue jeans, but we, yeah. I have black color, uh-huh. purple color, <laughs> uh, blue color is already a given. So basically, uh, uh, I think we started to transform from a country where unity is the beauty to colorful is the beauty. Uh And Uh, and music was opening up. I mean, there was Chinese rock. Right. Were you influenced by some of the major rock singers? Yeah, so uh, 
late 80s, early 90s, in, uh, there's a movement in Beijing called the Chinese folk rock movement. Yeah. So, you know, as a teenager, uh, like any teenagers, we went through this rebellion age, you know. Yeah. We love uh, rock music, we love uh, uh, pop music. So uh, I also sing folk rock, and uh, at those times, you know, one of the very famous singers called Chui Jian, um, and he's <laughs> he's one of the people who started the movement. Uh, also, the different bands I listen to, like uh, Tang Chao, you know, Tang Dynasty, or Hei Bao, you know, there's uh, uh, Dou Wei, who's one of the lead singers. So I listen to all, all this kind of music. And what is Chinese folk rock? I think uh, the way I define it is uh, because when Western rock music came to China, the rhythm, the energy mm. is so powerful. But yet, you know, we grew up in the tradition where we can't just take Western for granted or totally, right? We have to, in a way, make it work in our system, in our thinking. So Chinese artists, Chinese composers, um, singers, we uh, adapted certain elements from the rock music, but also put in our element, including instruments, including uh, the scale, the tune, uh, the flavor, the way of singing. So to really make it uh, a, a Chinese own, uh, the Chinese folk rock. Why don't, why don't we play a very famous example? <laughs> So that was the uh, the singer, the very famous singer you mentioned earlier. Tui Jian. Tui Jian. Was that one you listened to as a kid? Yeah, I, I know this one very well. And uh, yeah, one of the f- most famous ones. Yeah. yeah. And we heard exactly that mix. I mean, he really understood rock, mm-hmm. but there's this beautiful mix of traditional Chinese sounds and yeah. bamboo flute and... Mm-hmm. And uh, suona. Which is... Uh, uh, which is the... Um, it's like Chinese oboe, right? Right, right. So it's a, it's a double reed instrument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know what's interesting is that at that time China is divided by southern China and northern China it's just like in US you have the south you have the north the southern China style is influenced by uh, pop soft rock so Mm. that's Hong Kong and Taiwan Mm -hmm. and the northern style is more like it's harder it's more like uh, (laughs) you know more dramatic right so that's the folk rock so um, yeah so I was in Shanghai I was in middle so I listened to both um, do we have any examples of your music that's influenced by rock? Uh, one thing you could play is the uh, Flow 2. Yeah, we got to play that one. 
So we're going to hear uh, just a little bit near the end of uh, the second track of the Flow 1 and 2 series. Uh, this is Flow 2. Tell us about that piece. Uh, I hear a voice. Is that your voice? Yes. It is. Mm -hmm. That's you singing. (laughs) And a small ensemble uh, consisting of what exactly? So the small ensemble has um, cello and has a bassoon, has pipa and has a percussion, drum in this case, and also violin. Mm. And pipa is sort of a lute-like instrument from China. Yeah. In China, it's thousand-years-old instrument and uh, used to play like a guitar this way, but then they make it play uh, vertically, so to create more uh, stronger sound. And, uh, yeah. So that shows some of your rock influence. Mm -hmm. I have read uh, that you have a a word for the kind of composition you do that blends Western classical, Chinese folk, Western rock, Chinese rock, uh, even jazz. What do you call it? Dimensionalism. Dimensionalism. Yeah. Um, so it is a word I made up. So don't bother to Google it. <laughs> you might only find one one uh, uh, entry. Dimensionalism is the way I perceive music and I perceive the world I live in. There are so many cross currents and uh, not just one direction. There are many directions. Also, to me, music is not like the score from left to right, from page one to page 100. But it is uh, experience like, you know, you are entering a space and the sound, the 
everything happening at the same time. So you are surrounded by this space and time, this experience, this course currents, everything coexists. So when you think about music, you not only think about a motive, but you think about a total existence.ness. So in that sense, you create and perceive music. Mm. Mm. And uh, you, as a composer, get to create an environment that other people mm-hmm. surround themselves in. Right. And you yeah. change people when you do that. Exactly. Because we always change. We always, uh, you know, uh, adapt and also mutate or transform. Right. So I always say, yes, I was born and raised in China, and I am myself a Chinese American composer because uh, without coming to this country. My music will be different, and my music will be different in five years, in ten years. Mm. Depends on where I am and uh, who I meet and uh, what I experience. So, life itself is a journey of composing, and a piece is done doesn't mean it's totally done, and they could be changed. They can uh, continue to live, and I think that's beauty of uh, being a composer is everything written on the score doesn't mean it's. Is set to stone. It's an open book, right?、Uh, that is what make our life and make our creativity more interesting and also more challenging. So, when you were sent to conservatory at the age of twelve to study composition,、mm-hmm. were you mostly then studying, you know, great traditional classical composers?、Uh, was it、uh, that kind of education? Uh, in Shanghai Conservatory of Music, so I was in the pre-college division.、Um, our training is、uh, very formal, and I should say, and uh, uh, you know, we are majored in composition, so、yeah. we are composers.、Um, so I had a great teacher, Professor Deng Erbo,、uh, who still lives in Shanghai now. So he he was my mentor, and、uh, we, we were all twelve year old, and. He was very against to use textbook to teach twelve year old, right? So he always used、uh, life examples to teach us, and、uh, I I remember very vividly、uh, the way he teach us counterpoint is、uh, he said you know what is counterpoint? So he point us out to the window. He said look at that street. When the car comes, the、uh, people stop walking, and when people cross the street, the car stops driving.、Mm-hmm. So that is counterpoint when you. You have、uh, different voices. They juggling with each other. They fill in the holes. This move, that stop, and、uh, when they both come and both move in the same direction, then you have accidents. So, <laughs> 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 so、uh, yeah. So we were learning how to write for piano pieces, left hand, right hand, and how to use counterpoint. So、uh, I still use that example to teach my students today. So. Were you composing from the beginning? Then were you doing it even before you went to the conservatory? And...、Uh, you know what's interesting is、um, it's always difficult for father to teach their own child. So although my father is a composer, but it's very hard for him to teach me, and that's one of the reason he sent me away, far, far away, right? But I did、uh, growing up writing,、um, you know, songs,、uh, starting from children's song. I also wrote my own lyric. And then I wrote、uh, pop songs. I、mm. sang as well, this or that. So I wrote poetry, and uh, um, so yeah. So I have been writing, not professionally,、um, and and until I went to Shanghai.、Um, the、uh, after I went to Shanghai, you know,、um, because the training itself mostly is Western training,、um, but the Chinese、uh, instruments 
you know, there's uh, musicians also studying in the school. So I was making friends with them. So I uh, just learned from them mm. particularly. <laughs> uh, I remember one day I was in the practice room. The other side of the wall, someone is playing a Paganini etudes mm. on violin. And on this side, the other room, someone is playing the same etudes in different tempo, in different key on Erhu, uh, which is a Chinese fiddle. So this very different counterpoint going on is almost like a canon, right? Very two opposite instruments and same piece done in different key. So I went to my friend who plays the Erhu. I said, why are you playing a uh, you know, Western piece on a Chinese instrument? He said, because basically they do not have too many repertoires. So they ran out of stuff to play. <laughs> so th- their teachers or some you know, Erhu players, they or some composers uh, rearranged Western music to be played on uh, Chinese instruments. Uh. Then I was thinking to myself, you know what, uh, that is true. They would need some more music. If you go to a library, you know, all the CDs, uh, in those days are cassette tapes, excuse me. All the cassette tapes, all the scores, you see the violin and piano or flute section. There's so many entries and you look at the Chinese uh, instruments, uh, everything beca- even less than the piano repertoire, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that tells you something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in a way, it's unconsciously, also consciously, I walk on this path. I wish you had a recording of that moment of Paganini being played <laughs> on a violin in Erhu. Uh, Erhu is a beautiful instrument. It, it is. It always yeah. amazes me how much they're able to get out of one string, you mm-hmm. know, just one string. And also what's interesting is uh, um, it has, um, you know, the sounding board actually is a snake skin. Oh, it is. I yeah. didn't know that. It's a Paisang snake skin. Oh, really? Yeah. So... Um, I mean, you know, it's like a percussion instrument in mm-hmm. that sense. It's vibrate on skin instead of on wood. Right. So the sound is much softer, but also has more um, nasal sound in that sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's more intimate instrument. Yes, uh, it is. Not, uh, you know, concerto showcase instrument, but more intimate instrument. Yeah, it sounds like a single human voice. Mm-hmm. Exactly yeah. right. The range also is, uh, is like a, you know, soprano range. Can you remember any of the early songs you wrote or pieces you composed? Is there anything you can remember and sing a little bit of? Uh, I don't remember too much, uh-huh. um, unfortunately. <laughs> but also some pieces, I, I just want to keep it private. That's, that's yeah. I, <laughs> completely fair. I understand. Yeah. I mean, unlike Brahms, I don't burn my music, but uh, I, keep, <laughs> I keep certain parts just still. Well, that's, that, that's a good question then. Mm-hmm. What's the very first piece that you composed that you're still proud of, that you still really like? Uh-huh. Well, you know, just uh, on the record, what is public outside circulating sure. allowed to go out is uh, is in my college days you know uh, I don't let anything I wrote uh, before college go out mm. um, and even in my college days I only let maybe three three or four pieces I wrote want to pick something a, a piece that you still like that's an early piece yeah sure so uh, one of the few pieces I kept and let Perform still today uh, for my college days is uh, uh, this piece called Yue Fei is my chamber concerto number one for eight musicians. This piece actually I would consider establish my my style or whatever you call that. So I really feel I found something through this piece. 
Great. And uh, UFA, by the way, is not the letters U, F, and A. It's Chinese words. Nice. Y-U-E-H space F-E-I. And it means? Uh, which actually is the name of a historical figure. So it's oh. about his story. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'll ask you more about that in a moment. But let's hear a little bit from um, which section are we going to hear? We're going to hear the, uh, the fourth section and uh, starts with a very powerful drumming. Great. A small segment there of UFA, a uh, composition by my guest Wang Ruo. Uh, Wang Ruo, uh, did I get it right? Yes, Wang Ruo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the composer Wang Ruo uh, for eight instruments, a, a string quartet plus uh, percussion, flute, clarinet, and piano um, from your college days at, at Oberlin Conservatory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Oberlin Conservatory, yeah. So tell me about the, uh, the inspiration for this piece. You say it's a historical figure. Right. So um, UFA is a um, very famous historic figure, and uh, he himself also is a, a poet. His, his life is tragedy, right? So I love tragedies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he died very sadly, but this poem is very beautiful and very sadly beautiful and also shows his, uh, uh, you know, his idea of what he wanted to achieve, but at the end it doesn't happen. Uh, and then in ancient time, people set the poem into a, a song. So that tune, Nu Fa Chong Guan Ping Lan Chu Xiao Xiao Yu Yu Xie. So I use this tune to uh, become the spirit of the entire piece. So different section, I use different part of this tune. And at the end, I have the entire ensemble chant this tune in six part or seven part canons. Um, so it brings everything together into one, almost like an allergy mm. for him. So, uh, yeah, so both dramatically and also musically to me it, it's very complete and also uh, is created on this simple simple song, ancient song, ancient poem. So, uh, and it became an 18 minutes piece. So, 
Um, yeah, so I like it a lot, mm. and I do feel I found something through this work, and I'm proud of it, and uh, I decided to keep it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, by the way, Huang Ruo was saying elegy, E L E G Y, not allergy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank you. Yeah. So uh, what are the words uh, in that uh, poem made into song? He's looking at afar, right, from where he's standing Mm -hmm. at. And he sees the rain is uh, dripping, falling down with uh, a very dismal feeling. Mm. And, And he was saying all 30 years of success and failure become dust and earth, mm. dirt. Uh, only this feeling is uh, a feeling of uh, emptiness, of uh, uh, sadness or something. So basically he's saying whatever you did in the past, at the end would become nothing. But it is that value of, uh, you know, that will of what you try to achieve that at the end will be last. Ah. So uh, I focus on the word uh, kong means emptiness. So uh, at the end, I have the musicians in a dramatic way to raise their hand to, uh, you know, kind of like offertorium, that kind of gesture mm. from the conductor to everyone. So that is the end of the piece where I feel this is a universal symbol of, yes, it means I have nothing left or means I'm giving you everything. So the difference between nothing and everything, in this case, it become one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, to me, is the spirit of that poem. Uh, it's not about the measurement of how much you have or how much you, you don't have, but it's about keep trying, try again, fail again, try again, fail better. So uh, that really captures me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you said you like tragedy. In a way, yes, I do. Do you know why? Um, You know, sometimes I ask myself that question. Uh, I also like comedy also, but throughout growing up in China, you know, throughout throughout the uh, Chinese history or Chinese literature, we had a lot of great tragedies (laughs) tragedies <laughs> it's like the greek tragedies right so not too many uh, uh story is uh comedy for example if you take the the four great classics of china and maybe the monkey king story is uh is comedy although it's not really meant to be a comedy uh, it's just not sadly ended right that's what what you define that as not a tragedy but uh Dream of the Red Chamber is a tragedy. The Three Kingdoms is tragedy. So, I don't know. I, I think it's realism. And tragedy is something um, maybe make people think and make people really know what they want and really teach people something. I grew up in this environment. Mm. And uh, so, unconsciously, that's something... Uh, when I write this piece, at least, that's what draws to my attention. Not all your music, though. Not all of it's tragic. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you have any that's particularly tragic? Uh, particularly tragic? Um, actually, uh, Leaving Sao, oh, yeah. um, that means to be uh, sad, uh, is an uh, um, allergy, right? Allergy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let's stay with the tragedy for a moment and, okay. pl- and play uh, Leaving Sao. Mm-hmm. Leaving Sao was written uh, as an elegy for my uh, the passing of my 
grandma who was very, very close to me and who raised me, basically. So this winter, you know, I just received the news. She passed away. I was in New York and she lived in Hainan Island. And so I could not go back to see her the last time. So I was very sad and I need to express my sadness. So I decided to write a piece to honor her. I wrote the music first. I wrote the vocal line first. I, I sing it out without any particular words. I just want to make sure I could really express how I feel. I think when when someone wants to express something, it is more powerful to express in uh, singing, in uh, pitch, than just uh, reciting a poem. Mm-hmm. So at least to me as a composer. Mm. Um, so... I expressed it in music first, and then I went back to fill in words. So, Li Sao, Li means uh, uh, leaving or leaving behind. Sao means an- anxiety. Uh, in this case, it's uh, leaving all the burdens, all the sadness behind you, and you find peace. You mean death? Um, not death, but a, a peace in mind. I feel after I wrote this piece, I sung this piece, then I can finally let go and move on. Ah. Yeah, so that is the living sound. So that was just a bit of uh, Leaving Sao, a uh, composition by Huang Ruo, who's my guest today on this show. And uh, that's for orchestra and voice, you being the voice. Uh, so mm-hmm. a song of grieving, but moving through the grief is what you said, right? Right. Yeah. And did it work that way for you? Uh, later on, I realized it, it works well. But during that period, uh, you know, it just made me feel sadder. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it opens another door for me. Um, before that, I don't really write too many vocal music. Oh, really? Yeah. I've been always growing up writing for instruments, and uh, singing is a very private thing. I, I don't really sing in public that much. But it encouraged me, actually, to uh, sing out more, to perform this piece, and uh, uh, 
uh, is so personal. I also don't do it that often either. And uh, I have another version for uh, just a soprano and orchestra. And uh, a lot of times I just let soprano to sing it. It must sound quite different when someone else sings it, though. It seems like it's such a personal style that you have. It is. But obviously different composers write, have different ways to write music. Mm-hmm. Uh, my style or my strategy is uh, um, when I write, I always have this, uh, how should I say, I always have this image or this drama or this object, these shapes. Uh, I'm a very visualized person. I always have that first. and Or I hear this sound, right? And then I use whatever instruments or whatever available to create that. <gasps> so it's not like this piece has to be sung by me. It's okay to sing by other voice type, could be operatic, could be folk, oh. could be this or that, but it brings out different things of, of what my, I envision. And I think it's equally beautiful. And it is just, as what I say, it's the process of living, process of life, of a piece. It has various stages, right? So at that stage, it's this way, at that stage, is that way. So when I'm listening to a soprano singing this piece, I, it, it moved me into tears. Mm. And when I'm saying it, I don't necessarily move myself <laughs> into tears. So, uh, But it could still create that whatever image I have. Uh-huh. It's just different. Different color, different quality, different, uh, uh, different timbre. But that's the beauty of it. It's the variety of it. You said uh, you often, um, in the process of composition, mm-hmm. you, you may start with an image. That's a, right. A visual image. Yeah. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have always thought it it started with the sound. Sound also is, to me, is a visual image. Oh, um, are you synesthetic? I don't know what word to call that, but related back to what I call dimensionalism, right? Yeah. So in the micro level, uh, I do consider um, every pitch is an object, is a four-dimensional object. And every piece of music is an, a sound architecture, no matter it's Bach or Beatles or you know a Chinese ancient piece. For example, when you have a pitch, you know, you hear that pitch, itself has a life, itself has a track of traveling, mm-hmm. has uh, the height of that pitch, it's not, uh, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, uh, right? It has a duration, that's the length, it has louder and softer, you feel closer and further away from you, so that's the width. And it exists in this space. That's the time. So whenever I write music, before I see the color, I always see shapes. And then I, I, hear, I hear the colors, right? I hear, oh, is this color, this shape? It's very abstract. It's not like bright red or bright blue, right? So then I always try to use my voice to imitate that, whatever I see. And then I use instruments or whatever available, no matter it's Eastern or Western instrument, to recreate what I hear. So um, often when you hear my music, uh, you know, a Chinese instrument might not sound like a Chinese instrument or a Western instrument, a violin or a cello might not sound like a violin or cello uh, because I don't use them just particularly, oh, let's have the flutes sing just like a flute singing. Um, I use them more than that. I use them to create whatever image I have. So that's my process. I wonder if we have an example uh, where you could sort of explain that for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving from image to sound to composition, mm-hmm. um, is there any piece that might be good for illustrating this process you just described? Maybe we could do this choral piece I wrote called Without Words. Is for a cappella 
Choir. So were there no words there? <laughs> <laughs> Full of words. <laughs> the reason called without words is the two words to start the piece is without words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I wrote it, uh, I thought, again, this space, right? So this space, empty space, from nothing to something. So the first word, wu, means without, no, uh-huh. right? So you hear this very s- single path, cursive, moving, and then... It gives birth to different passes, to different directions, and then they become richer. To me, it's like a, something floating um, in the air, and they change colors, and uh, in different shape, change colors, and uh, they're still evolving and moving. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a, uh, it's a front. It's like you know uh, the experience is like things you're driving, right? So. Things passing you, oh, coming at you. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that experience to me, experiencing uh-huh. that way uh-huh. instead of uh, left to right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, you remind me of the the is it a Taoist term Wu Wei? Uh huh. Yeah. Yes, that is a Taoist term Wu Wei. Yeah. Are you a Taoist? Um, I I study a great deal of uh, both Buddhism and Taoism. Uh-huh. I don't. Call myself Taoist or Buddhist, just simply I'm not qualified. Right. And to me, there's more things, you know, to do. Do you like uh, Zhuangzi? Zhuangzi is great. Uh, Laozi, yeah. right? Uh, Zhuangzhou. Uh, one of my favorite stories is the Zhuangzhou Mengdie, you know, when Zhuangzi dreamed of butterfly. <laughs> um, you know, what's very interesting, very interesting about that story is... Uh, he dreamed of the butterfly, and in the dream, he becomes the butterfly looking at someone sleeping. <laughs> so then when he wakes up, he starts doubting, is he a human or a butterfly? So, in I mean, he, he lived several thousand years ago, and, you know, that already tells us, are we real or are we surreal, right? Is uh, uh, he am I or not? So that kind of, uh, you know, philosophy. Anyways, yes, I do love Zhuangzi. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said you, uh, uh-huh. y- you know, you were a little shy about your singing for a while, but you've always sung pr- privately. Is that true? Privately and uh, all, you know, among my friends, all my families. Um, so... I do have a a voice that sings through, you know, uh, I could go very high and I can start from very low, but I don't perform in concert, that kind right. of public, yeah. But you don't mind doing it here in the radio studio? 
Uh, I think now I'm more comfortable to <laughs> sing publicly now. So after all these years, <laughs> I was going to ask you to sing a folk song. Ah, okay. Um, maybe one that I've heard you sing because mm-hmm. I, I managed to find a uh, a video. Um, a folk song. I th- I don't know the name of it, but it's a father singing to a daughter or singing about ah. a daughter. Oh, oh, it's the Lan Hua Hua Little Blue Flower. Which, which oh, one? Oh, that's the Little Blue Flower. I think Little Blue Flower. I think so. Okay. 下地才生海口蓝花红世世的爱色人。Beautiful. Beautiful. That's the first verse, yeah. Is that one that you've known for a long time? Is that one you might have heard when uh, you were young? Or? All this I I learned it long time, like when I was teenage in Shanghai. Oh. In China, I also um, worked with my father who, who collects folk songs and compiled into a collection of Chinese folk songs. It's a published book. So through that experience, I also collected and learned a lot of folk songs. I, I have a big love for Chinese folk song because um, they are so different, uh, not just a different region, but also because of different language, different dialect. Chinese, don't forget, has uh, more than 50 different, uh, very different dialects. And uh, uh, we, we like to call that different languages, you know, because they do sound very different, uh, not alike. I always think because of the language, music is different. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, in the West, Italian music is different from uh, uh, French and different from German. So in different uh, language in China, uh, in this one is Northern Chinese style. It's very different from, let's say, Cantonese style uh, or other style. So when you sing it, you do need to sing it differently. Mm-hmm. So you can't just use one same voice and uh, fits it all, that kind of singing. What uh, dialect or language was that in? <clears throat> so this one is a uh, northern Mandarin. It still belongs to Mandarin, but has a northern uh, uh, dialects. Yeah. And you grew up speaking. Did you grow up speaking Hainanese or uh, Cantonese or uh, Mandarin or all of them? Yeah. So my family we speak Hainanese at home. So that was my first language. And um, since I grew up in Canton, uh, Guangzhou also. So uh, I speak Cantonese with my friends. Right playing outside, speaking Cantonese with friends. and uh, But at school, we were taught uh, Mandarin because that is the official language. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to Shanghai when I was 12, I lived there for six and a half years, I picked up Shanghainese. So I speak the four very different dialects uh, in China. Wow. Um, do you have a, maybe another folk song that shows the difference uh, between a northern style, like the one you just sung, and a southern style? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one is Cantonese folk song. <clears throat> it's called uh, Princess Flower. It's about uh, um, this prince who, uh, who after who sang this song, committed suicide. Another tragedy. Long fa moon tin bei yut gong. 
，这一杯苦再放台上，帝女花前来上香。So this is the Cantonese style. Ah, I could hear the tragedy in that one. <laughs> So again, you see how the voice is lower and more to the front, mm -hmm. uh, more nose sound, nasal mm -hmm. sound. So mm. that's the singing style. Mm. Yeah, and the language is Cantonese, right. so it's different from Mandarin. Right, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the in the uh, United States and Europe, there's always this cultural distinction between mm -hmm. folk and classical, between uh -huh. high and low. Right. Is is there that same kind of division in China? You know, in in the old days, in several hundred years ago, we do have uh, noble music and uh, also street music, right? So there is a uh, like like the Tang Dynasty uh, uh, noble music. So that's playing in the court for the emperor. So that is high music, right. uh, and the street music is the folk music. Right. But I think uh, now uh, this tradition is is not there anymore. So the less distinction now. Uh, but I I do believe we also came from that tradition has has differences. When you bring the two together, mm -hmm. uh, does it feel like you're bringing two very different things together, or do they feel like they really belong together? You know what's interesting is I also spent um, the past decade um, researching and uh, studying uh, ancient Chinese court music from Han and Tang Dynasty. Um, it is different, and uh, uh, you know, I do understand why the differences are there. Uh, however, there's still common things they they both shared. Um, the the court music is more delicate, um, never too loud. Mm -hmm. um, the folk music, you know, for example, people live in the mountain. Definitely, their music is loud. Uh, the reason they sing is uh, so that they call out to each other. Right, they 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 cannot say, "Hey, I'm here," but they say, <laughs> hey, "I'm here," so that people on the other side of the mountain could hear. So, uh, but in the palace, come on, you don't really need to yell to uh, call a servant to <laughs> come to your attention. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think environment and circumstances uh, influence how the music is made. You have done operas. You've mm -hmm. done full orchestral pieces. We heard a little orchestral music uh, earlier. Uh, small ensemble, things that purely use Western instruments, many things that use Chinese instruments, and many that use both. I thought I'd play one more piece <coughs> of yours that includes some traditional Chinese sounds, mm -hmm. although really avant-garde or modernist, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> it's my is... same way of composing, you know, use the Chinese instrument and voice to create what I... Envisioned. Beginning with a, a visual image, uh, or in this case, it's just a shape, uh -huh, a different shape, shape of uh, uh -huh. sound. And and the piece is called "Written on the Wind." It's part of a, a larger piece that has multiple sections called uh, drama theater. Drama theater. Yeah. What's that mean? So each drama theater is written for different instrumentation, uh -huh. and in this case, is is. It's done by the same person who plays the pipa and sing, right? So Ming Xiaofen is the soloist here. She is singing in a made-up language. Uh -huh. Yeah. So in, in this case, I invite different artists to collaborate with me. Could be a 
choreographer who use hers or his understanding of what she's singing to create a drama, uh, or in our world premiere version, a kinetic painter to paint, you know, uh, it, the piece. So yeah, to paint an abstract painting while that goes right. with the music. Yeah, exactly. I've seen so, this on YouTube. Yeah, so in this case, uh, it it is uh, uh, you know it is a continual growing and living and evolving piece, uh, because there could be always new things can be done to it. Um, so yeah, although it's done by one person. So so this is uh, again Min Xiaofen, mm-hmm. Min Xiaofen, who's both singing and playing pipa uh, in Drama Theater Number no. Three, written on the wind. We'll just hear an excerpt from that. It's almost like she's having a conversation, you know, between the voice and the instrument. That's right, yeah. And they imitate each other. Yeah. They talk to each other. They laugh at each other. They cry with each other. So it's a drama in that sense. And uh, you're really pushing that instrument, uh, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you're pushing it beyond its normal range of right of techniques. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. How, yes. Do you know? Do you play that instrument yourself? How do you I, know how to write for it? Not at all. I don't even own one. <laughs> uh, but you know, as as what I say, I just uh, I hear that sound, right? Mm. And uh, um, I ask her to create that sound. Um, I just envision what the pipa can be done, what her voice can be done. You know, we could use uh, this uh, pipa, which is a wonderful instrument. Um, pipa actually means the motion of P is, uh, you know, strike it this from top down. Uh-huh. Pa is to uh, um, to play it from bottom up. 
Oh, so I see. So pi pa actually is, is the back and forth. That's right, back and forth motion. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, not only uh, he played with extreme ranges, but also we use this uh, sounding board. Because the, there was a different, uh, what do you call that, different piece to, um, it's you like a threads? sounding board. Threads, yes. Yeah. So when you use your fingernail to uh, to scratch the threads, yes. Oh yeah, like a rock falling off the uh, of the mountain. That <laughs> Extended so, technique, right? Extended <laughs> technique. Uh, but again, you know, my goal is not to just make pipa sound like a pipa, but make it sounds unique mm. to whatever I envisioned. Mm. So, you've spent much of your career now in the United States. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you came? I came to U.S. when I was eighteen, so more than. 20 years ago. Wow. I'm, I'm 38 now, so 20. Yeah. Wow. So you went to Oberlin, you went to Juilliard, mm-hmm. now you live in New York. That's right. Uh, but is your music uh, performed and, and does it get wide exposure in China? Yes. In, in that sense, I'm blessed to have my music played not only in uh, Asia, but also in Europe, in U.S. Um, so I call New York my home and uh, I live in New York since 2000. You know, what's interesting is when I play my music in China, people will not say this is Chinese music, but they can still understand it. They just don't think this is uh, Chinese music. Or you hear my music in the West, and uh, the audience won't say this is uh, so Western or this Mm -hmm. or that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What it is, uh, I don't think just simply say, oh, you know, fusion of East and West could answer it. And uh, I think my goal is to really... Um, dig deeper to really bring out uh, um, the depth of what I want to discover, right? It has more than just East and West, uh, but whatever I do, I I don't intentionally try to combine anything, but I just want to find the most uh, smallest DNA of the element, and then I want to integrate them and mm. grow something new out of that, so it becomes an organic growing uh, tree or whatever you call it. So I'm on that path now, and I I hope that path will continue uh, inspire and amaze me to bring me more inspiration to create more works. So uh, though your dad chose your profession for you, it seems to have worked out pretty well. In this case, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately. Um, and I still thank him for sending me to Shanghai. My mom cried, you know, and she, well, I was too young. Yeah. I have no family. 12 years old. Yeah, no friends in Shanghai. I was living in a boarding school with uh, seven other kids in the same room, you know, bunk beds. But I should thank my grandfather, actually, who is a fortune teller. And my grandfather, when I was very little, he looked at my fortune, he told my father, he said, you know, uh, we must send him far, far away. Uh, Otherwise, he would not uh, make it. You need to send him as far as possible. So my father really listened to him. And I think that's partially why he did that. Mm -hmm. And you said uh, you're wearing a jade pendant around your neck. It's It's a circle. Yes. It's quite beautiful. How long have you Thank had you. that? How long have you been wearing that? Uh, I had it when I was uh, quite little. I don't remember when, but uh, I used to have a red red uh, thread on my neck. When I turned 18, my parents gave me a, a, you know, a, a metal chain to carry it. It's just uh, a, like a protection. Mm-hmm. You know? Also, I always feel I'm carrying my family 
with me. You know? So, so I always remember, um, you know, where they are and uh, where I came from. So, mm. well, Wang Ruo, it's been wonderful talking to you. And I thought I'd end with a piece um, that uh, that is part of the reason you are actually here, here in Santa Cruz, California. Um, you're here to have your work, uh, The Color Yellow, performed uh, at the Cabrillo Festival of Contemporary Music. And I want to play the second part of that piece. I want to introduce it for us, and then we'll go out with that music. Yes. So um, this part you will hear is the slow movement, and is for sheng, a very ancient, very old, original Chinese instrument. Um, has 37 bamboo pipes, and in this movement, uh, the sheng is playing this uh, everlasting long uh, melody, and with orchestra, it's like mirror reflecting whatever the color the sheng brings out, and to to reflect back to the sheng. Uh, and in this case, I have my own struggle how to integrate Eastern instrument with uh, Western. Uh, orchestra or western instruments together they are not tuned in the same same mm-hmm. tuning system so i try many times and i fail many times at the end i do feel i succeeded and uh, i found a language where i could put them into the same platform same level and they could create a dialogue theatrical dialogue on the same level so in that sense they all sound equal instead of uh, just one over another so well, Wang Ruo, uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I had a great great time chatting and uh, also to share my personal stories. And uh, I hope you will enjoy um, The Color Yellow. And you can learn more about Wang Ruo at his website, wangruo.com. That's H-U-A-N-G-R-U-O.com. Uh, by the way, that uh, interview was recorded before the performance of The Color Yellow at the Cabrillo Festival. But uh, I did go to the concert, and I'm happy to report that it went really well. The piece got a long-standing ovation. This has been the 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. We are online at 7thAvenueProject.com. <laughs>